Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. As you're turning, I want to share greetings from uh, Brother Jim Price. I talked to him, I believe it was Monday or Tuesday uh, this week. They were in Manitoba, and uh, he wanted to ask me to greet the folks here. He also, uh, because they've been so busy and on the road, hadn't had a chance, but and I think he sent a letter as well, but he asked me to thank the church for the, uh, the Christmas gift uh, that we sent. Said it was a great blessing and a help. Be praying for uh, Brother Jim as they uh, continue travels and raising support. And I wanted to share that greeting with you. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 10. I'm going to talk about four proofs of God's love. Four proofs. Now... There's a whole lot more than that. I was talking with Brother Colton uh, for a few moments this afternoon. We're talking about math. Uh, that's not a that's a weird Sunday afternoon discussion, mathematics. And we're talking about uh, calculus. That's an even weirder Sunday afternoon. Amen, Brother Maud. That's a weird afternoon discussion. And I was explaining a couple things and talking about proofs. And uh, I hated proofs. I hate proving anything in mathematics because when I did math, my brain isn't wired like everybody else's brain. Your brain works and my brain doesn't work. And uh, my circuits are wired all different. And uh, I can find the answer, but I don't follow the same path you, found, you followed to get it. And uh, I used to go back and forth with my math teacher over some of my proofs. Uh, and I would say, look, is my answer right or not? Yes, but you couldn't have got the answer the way you did it. I said, look, did I get the answer right or not? And we would go back and forth, and I, I probably should have been a little more uh, submissive to her. But uh, I, I didn't like showing proofs. God likes to show proofs. And by the way, he proves every day his love for you. His mercy is new every morning. Amen. Every morning when you see the sun come up, teenagers... Did you know that that thing, the, the, the bright thing up in the sky, it actually disappears at night and it comes back up early in the morning? Uh, it's not always in the sky, but when it comes up every morning, uh, it's a reminder that he rose from the dead, a reminder of his love for us. And we, we could look at hundreds and thousands of proofs tonight, but I just in this one little passage in Ephesians chapter 2, I want to take a few moments uh, just to enjoy uh, some time together in his word, uh, just to relish in what God's done. Uh, just to praise him, just to worship him tonight. Look with me here, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, for with he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Lord, my heart tonight, my desire is that we would worship you and glorify you this evening. Lord, you're worthy of our praise. Lord, we get a few glimpses into heaven you've given us in your word. 
Lord, John would have written much more if you would have allowed him, but the few glimpses that you allowed John to give us, Lord, it seems every time I see through the windows of heaven, I see worship and I see praise. And Lord, tonight I pray as you taught the disciples to pray, would you make it a little bit like heaven on earth tonight? God, would you help us to worship you a little bit tonight the way we will worship you forever in heaven. Lord, someday we will bow before the throne and cry out with the angels and cry out with the saints of God, worthy is the Lamb. But Lord, tonight you're already worthy. Lord, thank you for your great love for us. Help us tonight, Lord, to direct our worship and our praise to you as we look at these proofs of your love for us. Help me, Lord, to preach you right your truth. God, may you be glorified. In your precious name we pray. Amen. What would God have to do to prove his love for you? What would it take for us to say, I know, I know without a doubt that God loves me. And Would it take more money? Would it take better health? Would it take greater happiness in your life? More comfort? A better job? A bigger house? A newer car? What would it take? March 31st, 1995, I think it was. I think that's right, maybe 94. My wife will correct me later. That was my birthday. By the way, there's just a few shopping days left to my birthday. Be aware of that. <laughs> but my wife and I had been dating. We had our first date December 7th, maybe, or 8th. And then this is March 31st. It was a little over three and a half months later. I met her that day as I was going out to go to work. And she gave me a cupcake. It was a Otis Spunkmeyer, I think. Uh, chocolate, double chocolate, I think. Chocolate chip, chocolate cupcake. She had a candle on it. Uh, you know, she couldn't bake a cake in her room, so she bought a cupcake. And did you give me something else that day? I don't remember. I don't think so. She's a cheapskate. And uh, she gave me that cupcake <laughs> and as a birthday gift. And that day... As I was driving to work, as I got in my 1977 Ford Granada piece of garbage, and as I was going to work, me and my buddies, I looked over at the fellow who was my best friend in Bible college. His name's Jeremy. I talked to him just a couple weeks ago. It was his, it was his birthday, actually, a couple weeks ago. I looked over at him, and I said, Jeremy, I'm going to marry Carrie. I'm going to... I'm going to ask her to marry me at Christmas, and we're going to get married next summer. And he said, does she know this? I said, no, but I'm going to tell her. Now, when my wife heard that story later, she decided it must have been the cupcake. So, so girls, that's the secret. you got to give the cupcakes. But the cupcake had nothing to do with it. Too many times, all the little things that we think we want from God, they have nothing to do with God's love. 
But I want us to look tonight at some things that do have everything to do with the love of God. Everything God does, everything God does, he does for a specific purpose. He, he does nothing without cause. He does nothing without purpose. His efforts to mankind are always, if we look in the, the account of creation in Genesis, all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament, we see that God is always dealing with man to show man his love. Always. He, he, he loves us. He, he does nothing by chance. God does nothing in desperation. There's a wonderful old song, and part of that song goes, of you know, God searched through heaven looking for... God didn't search through heaven. I, I, I like the song. I, I understand the premise. Salvation was not a desperation move. God didn't have to scramble and back in the, the back. Oh, no, man, what am I going to do now? Man, sin. Where do I throw the ball? No, it was planned from eternity. It always was. God knew. So everything God does and everything God has ever done is for because he loves man. God never throws anybody away. For a little over a year now, God's put a burden on my heart. I'm going to have to do something about it pretty soon, but God's burdened me to, to do something that is pretty outside my normal wheelhouse. But I'm, I guess the Lord's going to, I'm either going to do it or God's going to kill me probably God's burdened me to write a book with that premise of don't throw them away we live in a culture today Christian culture where we give the gospel out and we try to reach people and so many churches if that person we reach is not the instant Christian that we think they ought to be if they don't look the way we think they ought to look and talk the way we think they ought to talk and do everything exactly the way we think they ought to in a couple of weeks, we want to toss them away and get started again. God doesn't do that. I love the story in the book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah went down to the potter's house and he looked through the window and watched the potter as he worked at the wheel. And he watched as the potter broke the vessel. But he didn't throw the clay away. He simply started again. Christian, we need to understand the love of God, that God doesn't throw you away. He doesn't throw me away. He desires to use us and to mold us and to make us. Now, does that mean that we're, I'm going to be able to do everything God has wanted me to do? There are times that because of some brokenness that I can't be all that God had wanted would want for me but that doesn't mean God throws me away I love the picture there of Jeremiah as he looks in the potter's house we look at God's love so often through what happens to us daily we look at it as wow something good happened today God loves me 
Oh, man, today was a bad day. Brother Maude fell on the stairs. Boy, it's a bad day. God must not love me. I'm a little worried. My enemy is now attacking you. We have the same enemy, the stairs. We look at, oh, this is good. Okay, I have a good day. This is bad. I've got a good day. Most of you probably know this. My family knows this for sure. If anyone asks me how I'm doing, what do I say, Rebecca? How are you? I say, I'm beautiful. Exactly. No, I'm not beautiful. But I've learned not to gauge how I'm doing according to what's happening in my life. God loves me. When I fall down the stairs, he still loves me. When I, when I disobey him, he still loves me. We look for God's love in the things that happen to us. And we say, God, why are you doing that? We question God. God answers back many times, I believe. Not audibly, but he answers back because I love you. Because I love you. I want to take just a few moments tonight, and I, I don't think I'll be lengthy this evening, but I want to share four thoughts, four proofs of God's love, and then I want to shift gears just a little bit for just a couple very small points into the message. Number one, we find this proof in our text. We're going to be looking just in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. Would you look there with me? Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, for with he loved us even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace. Are you saved? Proof number one, he quickened me. He quickened me. He made me alive. When I met Brother Bonnie ten and a half years ago, is that right? Brother Bonnie was a dead man walking. He was dead. He was lost. He grew up with a religious past, but he was lost. He believed the Bible, but he was lost. He believed who Jesus was, but he was lost. But just a little over 10 years ago, God took a dead man and he made him alive. Your testimony tonight, Christian, if you are born again, child of God, is you were dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins. But he quickens you. When I was in grade 7, I came home from school one day. I walked down the hallway of our home, down the hallway past the bathroom, past the laundry in the hallway, and in my room was on the left, my sister's room, my room. I walked out of my room. When I walked out of my room to go back down the hallway, I looked, and there in the middle of the hallway was a tennis ball. Now I'm a hillbilly. I guarantee you there was no tennis racket, brother, within 100 miles of my house. There was not a tennis ball there because I played tennis. There was a tennis ball on my floor because I had a dog, Boston Terrier. And I looked down the hallway, through the living room, into the kitchen, and laying in the kitchen floor was my dog, stone cold asleep. How many have ever heard a Boston Terrier snore? They sound worse than Pastor Rice snoring, and I'm pretty bad. He was snoring. He was out of it. And in my little juvenile 
12-year-old brain, I hatched a plan. I thought, how cool would it be to line up that tennis ball, kick the tennis ball down the hallway, hit the dog, wake him up. I mean, that's, that sounds fun, doesn't it? So that's my plan. So no shoes on in the house. You know, I ran back to kick the tennis ball, and I kicked it about three inches before you got to the tennis ball on the ground. My big toe snapped in half. The bone broke, and the bone went through the toenail. Blood began to forcefully... Colton, you having, you having trouble yet? I know it's... He's, a, he's very visionary when he hears. Blood is spraying, and I began to scream. My loving mother, she's probably watching still, uh, she yelled at me to be quiet. She might have even said a, a real foul word like, shut up. I don't know what she said, but she's, what's wrong with you? Be quiet. What are you screaming about? My dad was on the roof of our house. He was working on fixing the roof on the back porch. My dad heard my scream through the roof. And he knew something was horribly wrong. My dad jumped off the roof. I don't mean he took the ladder. He jumped off the roof, came in the house, came in, and there I am. Blood squirting. They took me to the hospital. They had to kind of almost kind of set my toe a bit. And they had to cut the rest of the toenail off. And then they had to stitch because the bone went through the toe. They had to stitch the quick, what we call the, the meat underneath the nail. They had to put stitches across that. Now, there's a reason they call that quick. There, there's no doubt. There's some feeling there. And I remember that my dad holding me down, the nurses holding me down, and that was just to get the needle near me, Brother Maud. I hate needles. And they're stitching that quick. It's very much alive. You and I were dead, in Christ, dead without Christ. But he made us very much alive. How do I know God loves me? A lot of reasons, but I can look here in this passage and tell you tonight that God loves me because he quickened me. He made me alive. He gave me spiritual life. He's quickened us in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. Letter E there, he quickened us in Christ Jesus. It's an expression of his mercy and his love towards us. In verse 4, we were dead in sins. In verse 5, we were hell bound. Ephesians 2, 1 says, and you. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We've been made alive. I like the way Matthew Henry says it. Matthew Henry, uh, commentator of years gone by. Matthew Henry said, grace is the soul. Grace in the soul is a new life in the soul. As death locks up the senses, seals up all the powers and faculties, so does the state of sin. As to anything that is good, grace unlocks and opens all and enlarges the soul. Observe, a regenerate sinner becomes a living soul. Praise God for that. 
He lives a life of sanctification, being born of God. He lives in the sense of the law, being delivered from the guilt of sin by pardoning and justifying grace. He hath quickened us together with Christ. Our spiritual life, Mr. Henry said, our spiritual life results from our union with Christ. It is in Him that we live. As Jesus said, because I live, He shall live also. How do I know He loves me? From this passage, because He made me alive. He gave you life. He gave you spiritual life. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. How can we question the love of God? When He said, I love you this much. Oh, I wanted more, God. He gave you everything. He gave everything that you and I might be alive. That we might have life eternal. Greater love hath no man than this, the Bible says in John 15. That a man lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 8, but God, and I love this verse, probably one of my top Ten favorite verses in the Bible. But God committeth his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while I was getting better. Not once I became spiritual. Not once I cleaned up my life. But while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for us. I didn't have to improve myself. Matter of fact, it wouldn't have made a difference if I did. I didn't have to prove to him I was lovable. Why? I'm not lovable. He decided to love me. He loved me as I was. He died for the ungodly. By the way, he died for those that we wouldn't die for. When you think of the, the most evil and vile people in our world and in the past, we think of people like Timothy McVeigh. Became popular this last year. And uh, pop culture. Can I tell you that as wicked and vile as the crimes that Mr. McVeigh committed. He, I'm sorry, Mr. Dahmer and Mr. Mr. McVeigh bombing the tower. Uh, Mr. Dahmer, who I was thinking of, who killed and ate people and stored body parts, as wicked as all that was. God said, I, I'm, I want to make available to him salvation. Had he trusted Christ? Charles Manson. The vilest person you can think of in the world that we go, oh, that, pff, that's wicked. You know what God says? I love them. I love them. He wants to make them whole. He wants to quicken them. We live in a system that knows nothing of love. We know a perverted understanding of love. But I want to assure you tonight that God loves you. And he doesn't love you because he wants to get something from you. He doesn't love you because he, he's, he's trying to uh, earn something. He just loves you. And his love isn't temporary, it's everlasting. It's forever and forever and forever and forever. How many of you have ever eaten something that you love so much, you ate so much of it, it made you sick and you didn't want to eat it again? You ever been there? What was it, Josh? My food? <laughs> well, as a boy, I, I like sauerkraut. How many of you like sauerkraut? We made sauerkraut when I was a boy. I like sauerkraut. 
I think sauerkraut's awesome, Brother Mike. It's good stuff. I still like it. But as a young boy, about nine years old, I decided to eat a whole jar of sauerkraut. And I ate a whole jar of sauerkraut. I should have good gut bacteria the rest of my life, Brother Krim. I was sick. I was real sick. I mean sick, sick, sick. I didn't want to eat sauerkraut for a long time. God never gets sick of you. He loves us with an everlasting love. For Sean 4, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, dwelleth God dwelleth with him, and he and God. And we know and believe the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. God's proven his love through the Son, Jesus Christ. Number two. The number two proof we find here in this passage quickly tonight. Which we find in verse 6. And he hath raised us up together and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Proof number two tonight. He raised me up. He raised me up. He raised you up. You know, remember when Jesus Christ was nailed to that cross, all of my sin, all of your guilt and my guilt and your sin and my sin was placed on Him. All of it. I don't believe for one second that Jesus made a limited atonement. Those that would try to pervert the gospel to say that Jesus only died for a certain portion of sin. Can I tell you that if that were true, then Jesus Christ is a liar. And we ought to burn this book. Because he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If the Bible doesn't mean that, if, if it doesn't mean everybody, if there's someone who, no, he didn't die for your sin, he died for yours and not for yours, then God's a liar. And he's a charlatan, and he can't be trusted. Rather, he died for all. He bore all sin, every bit of it, all of sin. It was, it was on him on the cross. It was, hold on, when he came off of that cross, was buried with him, was buried with him. I remember, I believe it was my grandmother's funeral, my dad's mom that I preached back in 90, it was 98. My wife and I have been married a few years. I think my memory's right. I remember at the funeral, my, my cousins, I remember them all taking a note and folding that note up, placing that note in the casket. To be buried with her. Can I tell you when Jesus was placed in that tomb. Your sin was placed there with him. The sin that he bore on Calvary. He took to the tomb. So pastor what's the big deal about that? What's the big deal about Jesus. Taking my sin to the tomb. Because he didn't stay there. He rose again. He, 
he rose again, meaning that sin was put ever behind him. In the book of Psalm chapter 103, verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dwelt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are but dust. Look at verse 6 again in our text. It says, And hath raised us up together, and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice that phrase, hath raised us up together. Can I tell you those that know the English language better than I do will tell you that that phrase there uh, is something that is past tense. Not he's going to, but he already did. He hath raised us up. So preacher, when did that happen? When did he raise me up? Three days and three nights after they placed the body of our lovely Lord on the ground, when he rose again, you were raised with him. I was raised with him. He was raised incorruptible. Guess what, Christian? I was raised incorruptible in him. I know he loves me. I see the proof of his love. He, he quickened me. He made me alive. He raised me up with him. If you will, I was nailed to that cross with him. I was buried with him. I was risen with him. He brought within the redemption our new creation. I'm not just saved from hell. And I praise God I'm saved from hell. I'm glad I'm not going to hell. But can I tell you, can I tell you tonight that salvation is not just fire insurance from hell. I, I'm glad that I, there's no chance that I can go to hell. I had, I had two people yesterday tell me to go to hell. Brother Mud, I had one person tell me to do things that were physically impossible. I had, had some very rude people yesterday. But two different people told me to go to hell yesterday. That was their words. Now, I didn't say it. I, 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 here's what I said. I said, God bless you. <laughs> that was my answer as I was trying to get my gospel track. But what I wanted to say was I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to. Amen. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry you want me to go there, but I can't go. I, I have, I'm saved from hell, but I am saved to heaven. I am raised up. And Christian, let's not forget what we have. Let's worship him. Let's praise him for what he's done as we see his love. I'm made alive. I am risen with him. What a wonderful thing. He's forgiven me. He's pardoned me. He's regenerated me. He's adopted me. He's cleansed me. He's given me a home in heaven. He, he's with me. He's never leave me, never forsake me. And one day he's going to come back and say, Hey, come up here. And I'm going. How wonderful. I'm risen with him. All of this is done in Christ Jesus. So here's the question. Why do we live like we're part of this world? Why do we live like the people of earth? When Carrie was giving birth to Rebecca, it was a very 
very traumatic experience. It was very difficult. It was very dangerous few moments. The doctor came, tried one last procedure, and she told me, she said, Mr. Rice, if this doesn't work right here, right now, on this bed in this room, I am doing emergency cesarean section. It was some tense moments. I, I deal with tense moments with humor. Maybe you've understood that about me. But our doctor, she walked in and she had this, you'd almost thought COVID was in the air. She had a mask on. She had this plastic shield on. She had rubber gloves on. She had her hands up like this. And she was a, I can't remember what nationality she was, maybe East Indian, I think, lady, little lady. She came in and she looked like some kind of alien creature because of all the stuff she had on. And she walked in like this. And uh, quietly to the two nurses that were with me, I said, take me to your leader. Uh, they thought it was funny. She didn't think it was funny at all. Uh, Rebecca thought it was funny. She was laughing in the womb, but they didn't think it was funny. <laughs> Carrie was punching me. But Now, we joke about, you know, oh, not of this world, you know, something extraterrestrial. I think they've been shooting down on UFOs here the last couple weeks. Anyway, you and I, we're not of this world. We are not terrestrial. We are extraterrestrial. We belong to heaven. I've already been raised up in him. There's no reason for me to live like I belong. I, I, I've been made an heir of God, joint heirs with Christ. Eternity is my time frame. So many things we could go into tonight, but we see the love of God in him raising us up. Number three here in our text. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 2. Then in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Number 3 tonight, we see here that he shows grace. He shows kindness. Now, if... I'll let Brother Eric be God tonight. His wife would never hear the end of it if he got to be God. But if Brother Eric were God, and somebody came up and smacked him in the face. I mean, just pop! Brother Eric's a mild-mannered, genteel gentleman. But I have a feeling if you pop Brother Eric in the face one too many times, he's not going to show grace and kindness. There's going to be a point, like, like Popeye. How many of you remember Popeye? Uh, but Mark, you said your dad said Popeye was your favorite. That was my favorite cartoon as a kid. Popeye's chicken. <laughs> That's my favorite chicken now. But Popeye was my favorite cartoon as a kid. And Popeye had the phrase... I've stood all I could stand, and I can't stand no more. And he'd be pushed just to the edge until finally he was ready to fight. Let's just be real honest. If you were God and you had to deal with you, there would come a point. The point would have come a long time ago where I would have said, Brian Rice, you're done. And yet God shows me grace. He shows me kindness. Amen. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. 
Grace, getting something good I do not deserve. Kindness, why? Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. How wonderful here. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Not just here. Here's a little bit of grace. The exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Here we see his love for the present and all for the future. It's not I want to give you something now, but not later. He wants to give us all throughout our relationship with him and through all eternity grace, kindness. God shows his love every day. Every day. It is of his mercies that we are not consumed. Mr. Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, that preached during the Great Awakening. Mr. Edwards, who typed out or wrote down, not typed, he, he wrote down his messages. He was very poor of seeing. He would write his messages out word for word. He was not an orator. He was not a great public speaker. He would write out word for word his message. And it's said of Mr. Edwards that he would bend his head where he was face to face. Probably, probably have macular degeneration, some sort of vision problem. And she would get very close to his notes and he would read them. It's said in a monotone voice, Brother Mon. It wasn't about the preaching of Jonathan Edwards. It was about the Holy Spirit of God that led Mr. Edwards to preach the Holy Book of God. And as Mr. Edwards would preach his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, people, not at the invitation, during the service, sinners would crawl on their hands and knees to the altar, begging God to save them. But in his message, he said that we are as a sinner, we are but held by the very spider thread above the very pit of hell. At any moment, could be plunged headlong. Can I tell you, that's where I was. But that's not where I am. Now I have His grace. Now I have His kindness. How wonderful that is. How wonderful that we have the proof of his love. By the way, that grace and kindness speaks of safety. Speaks of assurance. I've been in some dangerous places. I've been in some places that were very, very dangerous. I joke with people once in a while, some of the worst parts of Edmonton. I've been in playgrounds that were more dangerous than Edmonton. I, I've, I've been in some scary situations. I've been in some dangerous situations. But those times I've been in dangerous situations, it was because and while I was sharing the gospel. And I'll be real honest with you, there's never been a time when I've been in a dangerous place sharing the gospel when I've been fearful. Probably because I'm just a, a dummy. But I, I just knew I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> The Lord knows. If he wants me here, then I'm supposed to be here. I remember going in a building, and as I went to go in the building, the police in the police station at the bottom of the building looked at me and said, don't go in here. If you go in that elevator and you do not come back, Chicago police, they told me, we will not come look for you. 
We don't care what happens to you after you go in that door. We're not coming up there. Just so you know, you're on your own. That's not good. Why? Because I like dangerous situations? No, because I needed to share the gospel in that building. Can I tell you that God's grace and kindness are enough? Does that mean that I'm always going to be safe? No. But it means I'll always be where God wants me to be. I'll always be in his will as long as I trust him. By the way, Peter, when he was crucified upside down, he was in God's hand. So, but pastor, hold on a minute. That's pretty dangerous. That, that's not a good thing. He glorified God even in death. We get so hung up on our perceived safety and our perceived enjoyment of life that we forget that it's about God's glory, God's blessing. We see his kindness. We see his grace. The Bible says in Jude, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. By the way, let me, let me stop here just a moment. This isn't the message. But just in case there's anybody here that's struggling with this understanding of eternal security, if you think that you can lose your salvation, then you think God is not able. The Bible tells us right here he's able. Now, what does it say about God if he's able to keep you and he doesn't? Either he's a liar or he's evil. True? One of those things has to be true. So for me to believe, I'd have to throw away so many doctrines, but for me to believe that I could lose my salvation, I've got to either accept that God is evil or God is a liar. That's it. There, there, there's, you can't rectify it any other way. He's able. He's able to keep me from falling, to present me faultless before the presence of glory with exceeding joy. Jude 25, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Number four, lastly tonight, verse number 10 in our text, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto Good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Number four tonight is we see the next proof of God's love for us. He created you. Not only did he create you, but he created you for good works. Good works. For good works. I, I, I love this thought. And number one, we're his workmanship. We're his workmanship. I haven't for years, but years ago I used to build, I used to do some bowyering. How many of you know what bowyering is? Brother Darren's done some bowyering. Uh, I, I used to build longbows. And I several years ago now, probably 16, 17, 18, 19, maybe 19 years ago, I decided to build one for my dad. 
and I didn't use fiberglass. I used God's fiberglass. How many of you know what God's fiberglass is? Bamboo. And I, I did a tri-lamb bow, and I built it out of the front of the bow, the side when you pull the bow, the side people see facing away from you was raw bamboo. And then two other laminations glued together in a coal and a form. And uh, after I glued it into the shape I wanted, then I, I cut it down to shape and profiled and sanded. And I finished that bow. I created it. I crafted it. I wrote, I think, on the top bottom limb or top limb, I can't remember, facing the person holding the bow, Two letters inside of quotation marks. A P and an A. How many of you know what that stands for? Paul. That's what I call my dad most of the time. I call him Paul. One time we were out soul winning together 20 years ago in a church van in West Virginia. And I said something. I called my dad Paul. And as I got out, one of the men said, Marcus, I... Is your first name Paul? I always thought your first name was Marcus. Uh, but I wrote Paul on that bow. I, I created it. It was crafted by me. It was a gift I gave to my dad. Now, most likely that bow will never be worth millions of dollars uh, because I'm not a sought-after bowyer. I'm not a well-known crafter of bows. Because I made it has no intrinsic value to anyone else except my dad. However, there are some things in this world that are much more valuable because who made them? Many years ago, I was sent a gift from a man that I never, I've still never met. A man that I had helped with something I met online and he decided to send me a gift. He was driving through the area where I grew up, and general area, probably within 10 miles as the crow flies across the river from where my family live. And he stopped in a little country store, little everything store, gas station. Uh, as Lois knows what I'm talking about, little general store of everything. They don't exist much up here, but little place, probably half the size of this building inside. And just a little bit of everything, you go in, you can get a few things, and that's it. In the back of the building, there was a, a little wood-burning stove, a little pot-belly stove, and some chairs where you go and sit and play checkers, that kind of place down south. Most of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyway, they, there in that area near the wood-burning stove and the checkers, there was an old tub. I think it was an old uh, bin of some kind, maybe a vegetable bin, maybe an old barrel, actually, come to think of it, he told me, but there's a bunch of just old things in there, and there was an old knife, an old hunting knife, and this guy saw that old hunting knife in this little general store in this little town near where he knew that I was from that area, and he thought, I want to do something nice to pay him back. He paid a few bucks, maybe 20, 30, maybe 50 bucks, I don't remember, he bought this old knife. It was in a ratty sheath that was falling apart. The knife was pitted and old. And he sent it to me as a gift, and I, I was overwhelmed. That's really neat. That's really awesome, really cool old knife. And thanks to the wonders of the Internet and the interwebs, I began to look, and there was a name on the knife. The name was Morseth. 
I began to Google Mr. Morseth. I began to look for the knives that he created that looked like that. And I began to learn something that caused me to message that man and say, Sir, I cannot accept this gift. I, I need to mail it back to you. I realized that that knife, although it was rough and although it was a little ugly and although the sheath was falling apart, it was very valuable. Not because of its condition. It was very valuable because who made it. And I told the man, I said, sir, I'm sending this back to you. I said, I can't accept this gift. It's worth a lot of money. And he said, if you mail it back to me, I'm going to send it back up. He said, I bought it for you. I only paid whatever it was for it. He said, it's yours. And I told him, I said, sir, I'm not going to sell it. I said, I'll keep it uh, as a reminder of your love and you know, appreciation, the gift he sent me. Several years later, a friend who's a custom knife maker stole it from my house and made it look brand new again, and his wife made a custom sheath for it. That didn't add value to the knife, but the value, as far as the world's concerned for that knife, is because of the man, the famous man that made it. That's its value. Christian, can I tell you your value? You were created by him. The master. The master made you. The creator of all things. I have his love because he signed me. His signature. He made me. He made you in his image. I was made by God. I was his workmanship. I've been created in Christ Jesus. And notice the phraseology here in Ephesians 2. Unto good works. Created, by the way, means you didn't just happen. It was purposed. It was planned. I was created in Christ for a specific purpose. I need to find out what that is. Ephesians 4.11 in our text, or just a few verses away, a couple chapters away, says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God has something for you. He made you. Your worth is because of him, not because of you. These good works we have mentioned here have been preordained or foreordained by God. Titus chapter 3 and verse 8 says, this is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. I want to make a statement. If you have a pen, I encourage you to write it down. I believe a, a powerful statement about this truth. Notice in our text here, we were created, Christian, you and I were created to walk in these good works. Don't miss that. You and I were created to walk in these good works. So, listen to this statement. They await your doing. God created you to walk in those works. 
Can I tell you that they're waiting on you? They await you to do them. They await me to do them. By the way, when I do obey the Lord Jesus Christ, when I follow Him, when I honor Him in my life, I am realizing every step, every work, everything I do is a reminder, God loves me. God loves me. I've got a dear friend who got saved out of serious alcoholism and drunkenness and drugs and horrible, horrible life. Him and his wife, before they got saved, they used to get high on drugs and get angry at each other and shoot at each other with pistols in the house. And I don't mean they were pretending. I mean, they were trying to kill each other. But they would get so high on drugs that amazingly God spared them. They didn't. Several times they tried to kill each other. Somewhere tonight, Brother Hicks is standing behind the pulpit like this, preaching the word of God as an evangelist in the southern U.S. Every time he opens the Bible and lays on the pulpit, it's a reminder. He used to be laying down lines of cocaine. He used to be laying down empty beer bottle after empty beer bottle. He used to be picking up the pistol and trying to kill his dear wife. Praise the Lord. God created him and ordained him to walk in good works. It's a reminder, Christian. I give that example because it's easy for you to see and, and see the difference. But I hope tonight you understand that the difference is in you as well. It's in you as well. So, Pastor, I, I was never a drunkard. I, I was never a drug addict. I never tried to kill my wife. Well, maybe I tried to kill my wife. But I, I, I didn't do those things. Remember, you were dead in trespasses and sins. He made you alive. He didn't just make you alive to make you a scarecrow to do nothing. God made you alive unto good works. And they're waiting for you to do them. Just a couple of thoughts as we close here tonight. How do we walk in good works? How do we walk in good works? Very, very quickly. By showing gratitude for redemption. By showing gratitude for redemption. Giving him praise for what he's done for us. For dying on the cross. For giving our sin. Placing us in the heavenlies. What if you were unsaved on your way to hell tonight? That's where you'd be without Jesus Christ. How do we walk in good works? By showing gratitude for redemption. Next, number two, by surrendering to sanctification. By surrendering to sanctification. I shared the story of my big toe breaking in half. They had to stitch it up. I didn't want them to stitch it up. I didn't want to surrender to have it stitched up. My dad and a bunch of nurses had to hold me down so they could stick needles in me and then they could sew me up. But it needed to be done. It had to be done. You and I need to surrender to letting God set us apart and sanctify us for his purpose. 
to the growth process. First Peter or Second Peter chapter one verse five. I'm not going to turn there tonight, but virtue, on knowledge, on temperance, on patience, on godliness, on brotherly kindness, on love. We need to surrender to that process. Number three, how do we walk in good works? I'm going to close with this thought tonight. By serving. By serving in all areas of good works. What is it God wants you to do? Not what is it God wants the pastor to do. Not what is it God wants your spouse to do or your your child to do or, or Brother Colton to do. What's God want you to do? Hey, teenager, what's God want you to do? Oh, I'm just a teenager. <coughs> David, a teenager, walked down in the valley of Elam and said, you will not defy my God. He affected his whole country. His whole country. Young married couple, what's God want you to do? Older couple here tonight, maybe your kids are grown. What's God want you to do? What is it God wants you to do? Has he set something aside that he said, okay, I've got some works for you to do. At least once a week, sometimes a couple times a week, Colton and I will sit in my office, our office now, And I'll say to Colton, hey, here's some things I want you to do this week. He'll pull out a notebook. Okay. I'd like to get this, 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 and this done. Here you go. Now, I may ask him, hey, did we get that done? Is that, but that's not my work. That's his work. I believe God has work for you. He has good works for us. He's got them set aside. He created you unto good works. When God calls, just like little Samuel, the day's gone by. Won't you answer? What do you want, Lord? Okay. You know why you don't want to answer? Because you don't want to do what God wants you to do. I know. You know why? Because I don't always want to do what God wants me to do. How do we walk in good works? By serving in every area. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity tonight to walk in the works that you've prepared for us. Lord, we could spend so long talking about the proofs of love that you have for us. Lord, I praise you. I thank you. I want to worship you tonight for your goodness and your love. As well, Lord, tonight, I want us to walk in those works you have for us. Lord, I believe with all my heart tonight that you have prepared some works for every one of us. And, Lord, a lot of them don't get done. Because you prepared them for us, for no one else. God, would you help us to be surrendered tonight? Help us to walk in them. Help us to surrender to sanctification. Help us to praise you for our redemption. God, may we walk in that love.
that you've proven over and over and over again in scriptures. Lord, would you be glorified tonight during this time of invitation as we set aside some time just to worship you, to praise you, to yield to your purpose. May that be the case. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Remember Colton. Let's sing together. 301. Only trust him. Number 301. you're so good to us Lord we offer our praise and our worship to you for you're worthy of it Lord may we do more than sing your praises may we do more than lift up your name in this place with our brothers and sisters in Christ but may we publish your name among the heathen may we speak of your goodness every day may we be reminded of your love as we tell others of it. And God, may we find those works that you have for us. May we pick it up on our shoulder. And may we walk in that path and that plan that you have made just for us. How wonderful that purpose, that fulfillment. Bless us now, Lord. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Instrumentalists, take your Bibles with me and turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. And as you're turning, I want to welcome back uh, some of those who have wandered away, some of the lost sheep have found their way back home. We've been praying for them. Uh, they'll be at the altar this morning, I hope, and uh, good to see you back, you may traveling, and a wonderful time to be together. Uh, let, me, let me just give you a quick reminder. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, don't worry, uh, but I do want you to think about, I wonder how many of us are being faithful to our Bible reading schedule, and uh, let me encourage you, if you haven't started yet, we're only 20, was it 21 days today, 20 days, 
uh, into our schedule and uh, easy to catch up. Uh, we have the bookmarks back there for you. We've got the calendars are there on the back wall above the tracks for you to be able to keep track uh, to stay on course. Uh, just today, uh, early this morning as I was reading, I talked to a dear brother yesterday who's going through some, some very difficult times. And as I was reading the Bible this morning, just our, uh, in, in the book of Matthew, uh, I saw something. I sent him a quick text. I said, man, I just saw this and thought of you and thought this would be an encouragement. And Christian, if we realize that God wants us to, uh, to learn, receive the word of God, not only for ourselves, but so we can give it to others. We started talking this morning in our adult Sunday school. By the way, if you haven't been a part of that, we're teaching on prayer. Started talking about praying for bread for others and just kind of, skim the surface this morning. Plan will be here next week as we talk about that, but I want to remind you about staying faithful in your Bible reading. First Peter chapter number 2 and verse 9. We're going to look at just a few verses this morning. We'll start here. The Bible says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him and I want you to pay particular interest here to the next few words. Who hath called you out of darkness? And it was marvelous light. I want to talk to you this morning about God is calling. God is calling. Let's pray together. Lord, we worship and praise you for your goodness. And Lord, how amazing it is to think that you would care about us. And Lord, beyond just caring, you loved us so much that you gave your only begotten Son. You desire relationship with us. Lord, as we focus on your calling in our lives, Lord, I pray you'd navigate truth to hearts. I pray you'd minister to needs. God, I pray you'd embolden and empower me. Give me your spirit this morning to preach Lord, that your will will be done in this place. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do today. In your precious name we pray. Amen. We all know what it is to feel that phone vibrating or hear the ringer and look at our phone and see who was calling. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but if I did, all of us would have to Say, yeah, that's me. Sometimes you see who's calling and, nah, I'm not answering that call. Now, I don't, I don't get that privilege. Uh, when my phone rings, I answer wherever I am. But uh, most of us, when you see the call, you're like, okay, who's calling? Oh, I'm not answering a mod. No, I don't want to talk to him. Uh, Jim Price, absolutely not. Uh, my son-in-law's. No, maybe Josh. Uh, we, we decide who we're going to answer. And, and we've all been there. We, we've all let it just ring through to voicemail. And then, and then your prayer is, number one, please don't leave a voicemail. And if they do leave a voicemail in 2024, I'm going to tell you right now, unless you have automatic voicemail recording where you can press a button and hear it, you're not going to listen to it. Oh, it just goes into the ether. It doesn't matter. We laugh because we understand that. We live in that culture. But if right now your phone began to ring, 
And if on the phone it looked like that phone on our screen today, and you saw it was God, I wonder how many of us would go, nah, I don't want to talk to him. Or, I don't want to hear what he has to say. Dear friend, if you're here this morning, I believe this. I believe this as much as I believe there's snow outside. I believe that God is calling. I believe God is reaching out to every person under the sound of my voice. I believe that God is calling to all the world. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. Not just a few. Not just a certain race or a certain culture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And God is calling. But I'm afraid a lot of us are letting God go to voicemail. A lot of us are disregarding the calling of God. I want to spend just a few moments this morning talking to you about God's calling. God's calling that we see in the Bible. I'm not talking about a some kind of super spiritual uh, magical thing that we can't understand. I'm talking about very plain, black and white in our scripture, in the word of God, where God says he's calling. Number one this morning, we see in the text we just read together, God calls us out of darkness. We look together there, we see there in verse 9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him, notice this, who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There are two groups of people in this room and two groups of people around the world. And every person falls into one of these two categories. If you're here this morning, you fit in one of these spots. Number one, God is calling you right now out of darkness. Or God has already called you out of darkness into his light. What is the light? The Bible says that Jesus is the light of the world. John tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father. He is the light of God. He is the light. God says, I, I want you to, hey, come on out of the darkness. I want, I want you to come into the light right now. God's calling. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I, I, I don't know the Lord as my Savior. I, I've read the Bible some. I'm familiar with the gospel. I have a, a bit of a familiarity, I, I've, but I've never personally gone to the light of God. By the way, it has nothing to do with our goodness. It has nothing to do with any good, good deed that we can do or any spiritual work or religious work. I'm not talking about religion this morning. I'm talking about the fact that Jesus Christ is the light of the world and that we without God are living in the darkness. We are lost without a hope. There's no good we can do to bring light to our own life. There's nothing we can do to fix the scenario. There's nothing we can do so God will finally say, okay, you're good enough, I'll accept you. Understand God decided long before you were ever born that he loves you. He said, I want him. I'm going to die for him. I, I'm going to give myself for her that they can come into the light. And he's calling right now. 
Your spiritual phone is ringing even right now. You may realize in your heart that there's a God in heaven who's been speaking to you. Friend, don't ignore God's call. I'll never forget. As much as I'd like to, I never will. Conversations I had with a dear man years ago. As a teenager, I realized that it was every Christian's responsibility to be a soul winner. I realized it was every Christian's responsibility to share Christ. As a teenager, when I got my driver's license at 16... Before that, I would go out soul winning with men in our church. And when I got my driver's license at 16, I remember going out and asking a friend of mine uh, in our youth group. He was older than me. I said, hey, I want you to go out soul winning with me. And I didn't grow up in a big city like this. We didn't have door after door after door after door. Brother Jim's been to where I'm from. We have house, land, house, land, farm, house, uh, holler, house, another holler, house, creek, house. And we went driving down the side of the Ohio River. And there between Point Pleasant and Galpless Ferry, West Virginia, up on the hillside just right off the river, we went and knocked on the door of a home. A dear man came to the door. It was summertime. It was hot. And he invited us to come on his back porch. And we went and sat on the back porch and... He asked us if we wanted some iced tea, and I said, absolutely. He brought us some homemade iced tea. I'm not talking about that disgusting stuff that comes out of bottles made by brisk. I'm talking about real brewed tea with sugar, praise God. And we had some iced tea, and I opened my Bible, and I shared the gospel with this dear man. He was in his late 60s, and he said to me, he was a good man. He said, son, I... I need to do that sometime, but not yet. I went back, and I went back, and I went back. The last time I sat on that back porch, the last time I opened my Bible on that little table, that man looked at me, and he said, I, he said Son, I, I promise one day, one day I'm going to do that. The next week, I saw his name in our local paper on the obituary column. He had stepped off into eternity. As far as I know, every time God called, he never answered. I hope that maybe before he took his last breath that finally he called on the Lord Jesus Christ, but I'm doubtful. Dear friend, if God is calling you right now out of darkness, don't ignore his call. He loves you. Christian, let's not forget. Don't ever forget the day that he called you. Don't ever forget the day that you were born again. Don't ever forget the day that you called out and said, Lord, thank you for saving me, a sinner. He's called us out of darkness. I, I don't belong in the world. I don't belong in darkness. I belong in the light. And dear friend, you belong in the light and the love of Jesus Christ. And you don't get there by being a good person. You don't get there by any other way save by the grace of God, by grace through faith. 
Number one, God calls us out of darkness. Number two, Romans chapter 1, if you'll turn there with me, in chapter 7. Romans 1, 7, God calls us to be saints. Verse 7, it says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a wrong view of that word saint in our world today. We have a wrong view because we base the definition of the word saint on wrong foundation. We've let false religion tell us that a saint is someone that a religious organization deems were a good person. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. Whether that man uh, stands behind the pulpit or lays in the gutter, it doesn't matter. Let God be true and every man a liar. A saint is not someone that an organization deems to be a saint. God says that he has called all of those who have come into the light from darkness, who've been born again, God calls us to be saints. He's the one that saints, not a church. He's the one that has the right to call me and to call you a saint. We use that phrase, oh, she's a saint. He's a saint. When we say that word, we mean, oh, they're really, they're a really good person. They're such a giving, such a good, loving person. Can I tell you that God calls you saint? How many of you in here have taken your parents' phone? Maybe your elderly parents, maybe your middle-aged parents' phone, some of you teenagers or adult children, and have changed the contact information for yourself and their phone. How many of you have done that? Come on, be honest. I know if you look at my wife's phone, if you look for, is it Rebecca? I think it's Rebecca. At Rebecca's contact, it says favorite daughter. Now, it's not because Carrie typed in favorite daughter. It's because Rebecca got her phone and changed it, favorite daughter. Now, if it's, I'm not sure what it says about me. If it says favorite husband, I'm not the one that put it in there. And I hope I'm, fa- I hope I'm the favorite husband. I, one day I hope to be. But she changed the contact. Can I tell you who has the right to call you a saint? The one who died for you. The one who's given you his life in his life. Christian, let us not forget what God calls us. I have an aunt who lives in Ohio. And her nickname for me when I was growing up was Booger Boy. Isn't that a great nickname? Isn't that awesome? My family, we have phenomenal nicknames. And she, she's the only one, you can call me that if you want, I don't care, but she's the only one, Brother Jim, that still calls me Booger Boy. She's the only one that ever has called me that, I think. But I got a message from her the other day, and in that message, she, she mentioned that I was her Booger Boy. Can I tell you what God calls you, Christian? He calls you a saint, not because of what you do, not because you're in church this morning, not because you read your Bible, not because you 
dress like a Christian, not because you act like a Christian, not because you uh, don't do certain sins. He calls you a saint because of who you are in Christ. If you could look at God's phone, when he calls you, the contact would be my saint. He loves us that much. And yet so often we don't want to take his call. We don't want to listen. Number three this morning, would you turn to the first John chapter three with me? First John chapter three and verse number one. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. I don't want to bring up difficult past for anybody in this room. That's not my intention. There may be some here this morning that ended up being adopted into a family that you were not birthed into. It doesn't matter the situation. But maybe there's someone here. I've got a little nephew. His name is Luke. Luke was adopted into my family. This morning, can I tell you that God calls you and God calls me if we've come into the light, if we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, God calls us his child. My grandmother went to heaven back in 90 or 2000. I think it was 2006 or 2007, maybe 2008, 9. My memory's pretty foggy. But a lot of the folks in the community called my grandmother Aunt Mookie. She wasn't their aunt. Now, she was related to a lot of people, but there were a lot of people who called her aunt that they were not physically related to her. But she had loved them so much, and she had given to them her heart and her love and had accepted them into her family to the point where they called her their aunt. Christian, I don't just get to call God my father because I feel he's fatherly. God says he calls us his son. He calls you his child. My little, my little nephew, Luke, when he was adopted into my family, my sister's family, the government of West Virginia sent them a new birth certificate for him. His birth name was not Luke. My sister called him Luke. His birth parents father I don't think was even known the mother's name they knew somewhere but on the birth certificate that my daughter my sister received if you look at his name it's Luke Fish if you look at the mother's name on that birth certificate it's Robin Rice if you look at Robin Fish excuse me if you look at the father's name it's Charles, Charles Fish How's that possible? Because he's been adopted. Christian, God calls you his child. He's brought you into his family. 
He loves us with a love that only a father could give. And yet we see him calling. And so often we disregard the call of God. He calls his sons. Number four, Galatians. I love the book of Galatians. I think it was two and a little about a little bit over two years ago that I had the privilege of teaching through the book of Galatians on our Wednesday night Bible studies. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 15. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace. Dear friend, this morning God calls you by grace. He doesn't call you by works. He doesn't call you by what you've done. He doesn't call you based upon merit of anything else. He doesn't call you based upon a church or religion or any per, your family. It has nothing to do with it. God calls you by grace. A wonderful way to remember the definition of grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. I don't deserve the good of God. And yet God's grace gives me that which is good that I do not deserve. God calls us by grace. Christian, you're called by grace into the wonderful life that God has for you to live now. God calls you by grace this morning to come to Him. God calls you by grace to live as a child of God, as a son of God, in the light of love. He calls us by grace. 1 Peter tells us as well as we hasten this morning, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 9 and 10. He calls us to glory. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing the same afflictions, are accomplishing your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, the God of all grace, who hath called us into His eternal glory, by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect. Establish, strengthen, settle you. Dear friend, this morning God calls us and He calls us into glory. He calls us into glory. The glory of God. Can I tell you what the glory of God is? The representation of God's glory is Jesus Christ. He calls us into Himself. How many of you have ever been trying to get inside of a building, maybe your home, when it was raining, and you're struggling to get the key and get the key in the lock, and you're, and you're like, just please open the door. You ever been there? Maybe, maybe a week and a half ago when it was 30 below zero, and you're trying to get the key to get inside. I just gotta, I'm going to freeze to death. i got to get inside. And all the way to the door, you're like, man, I hope somebody just opens the door. It would be so nice if someone would just have the door open, and I could get inside. I yelled at my wife the other night. I was coming home. I was out, and it was 30, I think it was about 40 below. And my wife locked the back door. I'm trying to get in. I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you locking the door? She's like, oh, I thought it was a good idea. I didn't think it was a good idea, Jim. I wanted to get in. I wanted to be received. There may be someone here this morning who has the idea that God has the door locked. He doesn't want you in. 
and you think, ah, God doesn't want me there. Can I tell you, God calls you into glory. He invites you. He's called us into his glory, not our own. He calls us into the glory of God. In the Old Testament, there was a tabernacle and then eventually a temple. In the middle of that structure, originally built with animal skins as a tent and eventually a building. But no matter the construction of the building, both of them were the same in that there was a place in the midst of that tabernacle or that temple called the Holy of Holies. And it was a small place. In that place was the Ark of the Covenant. Under the mercy seat was Aaron's rod that abutted. Uh, there was uh, manna. Uh, that the broken law was there. On top of that Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat with angels stretched forth covering that seat. It was there once a year that the high priest would go after cleansing himself and bring the blood of the atonement and place there on that mercy seat a picture of our God looking down through the shed blood that one day would be shed on Calvary through that blood to the broken law and being a covering. I praise God the shed blood of Christ has been applied to my life. But in the Old Testament, that place was where the glory of God dwelt. Nobody was able to go there. They weren't allowed there. Only the high priest could go, and then only once a year, and then only if he went a certain way. And when he went in, they tied a rope around him. And, and the garments he wore, around the bottom of the garment, there was a bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate all around. That way, there, someone could be outside listening to make sure the bells were still jingling. Because if he came before the Lord the wrong way, he'd be stricken dead. If they heard the bells stop for any length of time, the servants there in the temple, maybe the sons of the high priest, would have to pull the rope to drag out the dead body of their father. But only he could go once a year. Dear friend, when Jesus Christ went to Calvary's cross, while he was hanging between heaven and hell for you and me, the Bible says the sun went black. The Bible also tells at the same time that the veil, that separating place where it said, hey, do not enter. You cannot come in here. This is the holy place. The Bible says that that veil was rent in twain from top to bottom. There was a great earthquake. Why? Because God is calling you and calling me today into His glory. I can do what no one but the priest could do, and he could only do once a year. I am called into the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Boy, I'm sure glad that God called me. I'm sure glad he's still calling today. Amen. By the way, when I began this message this morning, some of you, your heart's phone started ringing, and it's still ringing right now. And God's going to keep calling. But the Bible says that one day God will not always strive with men. One day God will stop calling. God calls us in the glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In verse number 9. God is faithful. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful by whom you were called 
under the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He calls us in the fellowship. Several years ago, I drove to the States. We had a bit of a caravan. Well, the price was driving. Becky, was, was Josiah there or just you? Josiah was there. Becky was there. I remember one, one part of our trip, we went to Cracker Barrel and Becky almost died. Jim and I almost died of laughing. We were closer to dying than she was. But as we got into Chicago, I made a phone call. I called a dear friend of mine, Pastor Wilkerson's brother-in-law, John Francis. He's the bus, bus director and pastor at First Baptist. I called him. And I said, hey, I said, why don't you meet us for lunch? And he came and met us. And we got a fellowship together and spent time together. Think about this this morning, dear friends. God's calling you to fellowship with him. I mentioned this morning before the message, our Bible reading plan. By the way, all it is is a tool. But the purpose of the tool is to get you fellowshipping with God, the Word of God. God calls us into fellowship. He wants us to fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's a wonderful thing. And I praise God for the local church. And I love the local church that God established. But He also wants to call you into fellowship with Him. In private communion with Him. He calls us into fellowship. Galatians 5, if you'll turn there with me this morning. Galatians 5.13 We see here he calls us into liberty. God calls us into liberty. Number 7 there, verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. You and I think because our flesh wants us to think thus and the devil tries to program us to think this way that God wants to put handcuffs on us. Because false religion, and there's much of it in our world today, has made a cheap counterfeit of God's plan. We have believed that religion, falsely so-called, that God wants to hunt us down and to shackle us and to limit us and hobble us and keep us from doing anything. But the Bible, the Word of God, doesn't teach that. The Bible says that He calls us unto liberty. Unto liberty. In other words, God says, I, I, I want to set you free. I, I, I want to give you freedom. I want to make it possible that you're free. Now, the world says, and false religion says, well, if I have liberty in Christ, I'll go do whatever I want. Many of you know, many of you that are from the Philippines know that when 
Pacquiao fights in the Philippines, crime stops. Am I telling the truth? It's the truth. It stops. Because everybody, criminal or non-criminal criminal alike, they want to know what's going on in the fight. Now, if I was a wicked man, and if I had wicked, evil intentions, and I wanted to rob somewhere in the Philippines, Brother Eric, you know when I would do it? During a Pacquiao fight. I'd ask him to come back and fight again so I could make a good robbery. Uh, that's a good time to go, man. If I got freedom, man, there's nobody around. Everybody, woohoo, I got, I got access. You know, when mom's making cookies, and they're all there on the counter, and mom said, don't you eat the cookies? And then you see mom go to the bathroom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Get me a cookie. I got the freedom. That's what we think of freedom. We think freedom in Christ is, man, I can just do whatever I want. I'll just, I'll go wild. I'll do whatever I feel like doing. But the Bible quantifies this liberty. The Bible tells us what God's purpose for it is in verse 13. It says, therefore, brethren, I've been called unto liberty. Only use not that liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another. God says, I want to set you free. I want to give you liberty. So you have no hindrances in ministering to others. So you have no hindrances in loving your neighbor. So there's nothing keeping you back. I don't have handcuffs on this morning. I don't wear religious handcuffs because I'm a Christian. I'm free. I'm free in Christ. Now I'm free for the purpose of ministering and helping and loving. God says, don't use your freedom. Don't use the freedom you have for the wrong thing. But he calls you in liberty. And he calls you into liberty to use that liberty for his glory. So many of us answer the call and then totally disregard the message. Totally disregard the message. Ah, I don't want to do that. I did something else. Sometimes we struggle to listen and even answer the call because we have been taught false religion and baggage that has us under the thumb that we think it can't be possible that I could have freedom in Christ. But I want you to know this morning that Jesus Christ does not call you into bondage. He calls you into liberty. He calls us into liberty. Lastly, this morning, would you turn to Ephesians chapter 4? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. I want you to notice Paul does not call himself the great missionary. He does not call himself a faithful servant. He does not call himself a, a wonderful preacher. Notice the word, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. That's how Paul referred to himself. I'm just the Lord's prisoner. I joked the last, the few folks over the last couple of years, I've, I've signed different letters, God's hillbilly. That's all I am. Paul said, I'm just the Lord's prisoner. I'm just the Lord's prisoner. 
the prisoner of the Lord. By the way, he wasn't imprisoned by the Lord. He was imprisoned for the Lord. The prisoner of the Lord beseech you, notice the phrase here, that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. When I was younger, when I would leave home as a teenager, I remember many times my dad making a statement to me. Maybe some of you heard this same statement growing up. Probably a little more common in the southern U.S. where I'm from. but I'd hear the phrase before I'd walk out the door, don't forget who you are. Don't forget whose son you are. It was a reminder, behave yourself as you would as if you were home. Act the same way when you leave as you would act while you were here. God's calling us, and He has called us from darkness to light. We have these wonderful callings we see from God. And we have a reminder from Paul, the prisoner for the Lord. As Paul reminds us, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we need to walk worthy of the calling. By the way, you and I could never earn what God has given us. We could never pay for it. It could never happen. I could never pay God back. You know, if somebody gave me a $10 million loan today, I'll be in my office after if you want to do that. But uh, someone gave me a $10 million loan. Brother Jim, I couldn't pay back a $10 million loan. I couldn't pay back a $10,000 loan. But I, I couldn't pay it back. There, I, I, I'm not going to live long enough, and I'm not going to have enough money come through my hands in any way to pay back a $10 million loan. That's not possible. The aspect of the greatness of God's goodness he's given you is greater than any financial rift that we can imagine. I can't pay God back. I can't earn my way into heaven, and I can't earn salvation after it's been given. I can't settle up with God. He paid the price. I don't pay the price. But Christian, I need to remember whose son I am. I need to remember what family I'm from. When I go through my day on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday, I need to walk worthy. I need to be, have a good testimony. Why? Because I'm called by God. Why? Because God called me out of darkness into light. Because God's called me into His glory. God's called me into His fellowship. God's called me by His grace. Called me. He calls me a son. He calls me a saint. Christian, we need to walk worthy. If you're here this morning, you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you do not know that if you had been in the same position that Miss Joan was last Sunday night, as she breathed her last breath on this earth, if you don't know that you would have opened your eyes in a place called heaven, if you don't know your sins have been forgiven by the shed blood of Christ alone, can I tell you this morning, God is calling your phone. 
please pick up. He's calling you from darkness into light. His great love says, I love you. I died for you. I was buried. I rose again. I offered you eternal life. The Bible says, behold, he knocks on the door. But he won't knock that door down. You have to open it. You have to receive him. You have to believe. If he's calling you this morning, would you answer? So, Pastor, I don't know how to answer. This morning, during our time of invitation, just a, just a few moments, I'd love to talk with you about how you can answer that call. How you can simply do what the Bible says and call upon the Lord Jesus Christ today. Christian, if you're here this morning, God's calling you. And God has a calling on your life. And God has a purpose for you. God calls you into liberty so you can serve. And when it comes to service, we look at our... <laughs> Not right now, God. Not right now. Brother Will Esianko spoke to our teenagers Friday night here at our building. And he shared his testimony of how he surrendered his life to serve the Lord full time. And then he said, nah, I think I changed my mind. And God had to bring a tragic accident to his life to get his attention. To cause him to go, you know what? I'm going to recommit to the calling of God. I don't want God to have to do that in your life. Just pick up the phone. Just answer the call. God is calling this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray.